Well, good morning. Welcome to all, the, all of those who are joining us on site and online this morning. You have arrived at the final week of our series on Habakkuk. And over the last three weeks, I, I truly hope that this has been an opportunity where you have been able to feel encouraged and maybe even feel like you've taken steps towards building a more resolute faith in God during every season of life that we may find ourselves in. As we've been learning the last few weeks, Habakkuk was a righteous man who is known as one of the minor prophets. Minor prophets not meaning that he was uh, of no consequence or of lesser importance than others, but just his book was a little shorter. And so they put it in part of the Bible. There's some shorter books that show up. But he lived during a time of 600 B.C. This is a time of great corruption and waywardness amongst the people that he lived and ministered among. And when he looked around at the world that he lived in and in the situations that he found himself in, he had this feeling, this, this sense that, that God either didn't know or, or God didn't care. Or if he did know or he did care, well, he, he certainly wasn't able to do anything. And his conclusion, as we've learned over the last few weeks, is that he came to the conclusion that, well, that's just not fair. And so he laments this to God. Remember, we talked about lamenting the first week about how if we have a question or a concern, we can, we can express that to God. And, and so he does. He, he has this concern that leads to a question, and he asks it of God. Uh, but the answer he got back didn't really resolve much for him. It actually added to his concern, because the answer he got back is God basically saying, yes, you know, Habakkuk, and I want you to go tell the people that I have seen their corruption, and that I am going to judge it. Justice will prevail. And my instrument of justice is going to be the Babylonians who are going to come and wipe out your nation and carry you off in exile. Well, Habakkuk is like, well, yeah, yeah I know that people are wicked, God. And, and I know that they need to be punished. But the Babylonians? Like, like really? <laughs> the Babylonians? Like, like, that's worse than what's going on now. That's really not fair, God. And we see in these couple weeks as we've progressed so far that his question of faith turned into a choice of faith. And that choice of faith was, am I going to allow this current situation in which I find myself to steal my hope? Am I going to lose heart in the midst of the moment I find myself? Or am I going to have faith in the God that I know? In God's character, in his promises, I'm going to stand upon that. It's his choice of faith that he finds himself in. And so Habakkuk is in this moment where he risks sort of zooming in, if you will, upon a particular moment. And as he is, you know, it's kind of like when you zoom in on something, you can see it in very, very fine detail, but you lose sight of everything else that's going on around. In this case, he's zooming in on a particular moment, and he's actually losing sight of the God that he has known. He's, and he starts wrestling with God. Remember, we learned what Habakkuk's name means. It means to wrestle with God. But what does it also mean? It means that when he zoomed out a little bit as we journeyed through this past few weeks, he could see the bigger picture again. He didn't just wrestle with God. He then again could embrace God. He could embrace him and have a belief that justice and righteousness would prevail. Have you ever found yourself in a situation perhaps where you felt like you had, you, you had a view on something and you, you, you believe pretty firmly that I understand what's going on in this moment? But then all of a sudden, something happens where new information's added, and it feels like you zoomed out a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. Maybe there's more going on here than I actually realized. Maybe, maybe I had zoomed in on something so much that I had missed 
some details that are happening around me. Have you ever had a situation like that where you thought you knew something, you believed something, but then more details actually further informed your situation? It happens in the world all around us. It happens in situations we find ourselves in all the time. You know, just a couple quick examples. Like, like for example, consider, consider this picture. Like, like, what do you think this boy is doing? Maybe he's whistling, trying to whistle for the first time. Maybe he's trying to kiss his mom. Any, I don't know, any other suggestions? Dandy, there's a few suggestions. We don't really know because we're zoomed in on it. We can't really know, but all of a sudden, if we zoom out a little bit, we see that the boy is blowing bubbles. What a fine thing for a young boy to do, to just blow bubbles. But all of a sudden, we, our information changes what's happening. Uh, or consider this picture, for example. This dog. What do you think this dog is doing? Is this a vicious dog about to bite a child? Maybe this dog doesn't like that boy's bubbles. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to show you what I think of Bubbles. Maybe he's a vicious dog. Maybe he's an angry dog. He's ready to bite somebody, but all of a sudden we zoom out a little bit and we see, no, he's, he's playfully chasing a Frisbee. You see, when we zoom in on a circumstance or a conclusion that we arrive at in our minds based upon the world around us, we shut out other information that may actually further inform what's taking place. And Habakkuk had a question of faith that led to a choice of faith, but, but he ended up, as we learned last week, he ended up landing on persevering faith. Persevering faith, and that happened because he was able to gain more information, a more informed perspective of who God was and what God was going to do. And we now come to chapter 3. Chapter 3, the final chapter in this book, where we find his full response. And if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's found on page 765, or feel free to open your own Bibles or your own Bible apps if you wish. And we see in this final chapter, this journey that Habakkuk has been on, where he has gone from questioning God, now today he is praising God. And he praises him here as we see in verse, in verse 1, where it says in verse 1, this chapter 3. Chapter 3, it's saying, it's, a, it's like a heading, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth. Who knows what Shigionoth means? Anybody? No? That's unfortunate because it would go really well for you if you did know what it means because nobody actually knows what it means. <laughs> so if you happen to know what it means, boy, we, we could do something with that. So we don't really actually know what it means. It only shows up in the Bible twice, here and in Psalm 7. It's the only time it shows up. But we do know this about it. We do know that it was most likely a director, a direction regarding music, some sort of musical direction. And the root Hebrew word from this has to do with passion and vigor. And so we can assume some things from that. The other key word we see in this heading of chapter 3 is that this is a prayer. This is therefore a solemn song that Habakkuk is singing. He's, he's singing these praises of reflecting and expressing trust in God, just like you would find in the Psalms. And the main theme of this sacred song of praise that is to be sung with passion is found in verse 2. And in verse 2, we read this, as Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our days. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
Habakkuk is basically saying, God, I've been told of your power. I've heard stories of your glory and your splendor and the great works that you have done in the past for your people. I believe in them, God. I still believe in your splendor. I still stand firmly founded upon the fact that you are good and you are just and you are faithful. But God, if I'm honest, I'm not feeling it. You had a time like that? Where you... Sometimes we stand in the presence of God and it's just so real and so close and so imminent. And we're just so clear of the fact of who God is and his presence with us. But then there's these other times where there's like this absence. You ever felt these before? Because in those moments when you feel like there's a separation between us and God, maybe, maybe it leads you to pray. And so in your prayer, you, you, you pray out of distress and a yearning to say, Lord, do it again. I want to feel it again. And that's basically the second part of what he says in verse 2 here. The second part is saying, I, I, he's saying, God, I, I know these things. I believe these things about you, but I'm not feeling it right now. But I know you can, but you're not. And so I cry out to you in faith, and I say, God, do it again. Repeat in our day what you did in the past. Repeat in our day what you did before. Renew us, God. Revive us, Lord. Restore us as you have done before. Do it again. Can you feel the passion in this prayer? We're only in verse 2. Can you feel the sense as he sets the stage for what's to come in this verse, in this, in this chapter? Before we go any further, it kind of begs a question. What in the world happened for Habakkuk to zoom out from that moment that he was so challenged by in chapter 1, to zoom out and to see this wider perspective that now leads him to this response of faith. What happened? Because the situation hasn't changed. The people are still corrupt. They are still living wayward lives, and, and, and this lack of justice still remains. The very things he complained about in chapter 1 still exist. God's plan to defeat his people with the nation of Babylon is still going forward. And yet Habakkuk finds himself in this moment of renewed trust and hope. Amidst the uncertainty, amidst the trials, he still can, can pray these passionate prayers of praise and trust towards God. And when we consider in that perspective what he's saying here in, in verse 1 and 2, early, it, it kind of reminds me of like when I was back in school in math class. And you had like these long division questions you had to do. And you'd get one point for the answer. And then you would get one point, sometimes more than one point, if you would show your work on how you arrived at the answer, right? Because the, the teacher wants to make sure you're not using the calculator. <laughs> Josh used to get in trouble for this all the time because he's extremely bright. And he was just like, I know the answer. So he would write the answer and he'd move on. Why am I wasting my time showing you the work? And so he'd have challenges with that in school. But what we see here is in verse 2, Habakkuk gives us the answer of where he arrives at. And now the rest of the chapter, he's going to show us his work. The rest of the chapter, he's going to show us how he arrived there. And what we find is that Habakkuk did three things. Three things that all of us can do. To respond in faith amidst the present and ongoing challenges that we sometimes encounter in our lives. And the first thing he did is this. He remembered what God had done. He remembered what God had done. You see, our memories have this incredible ability to help us to relive the past, to bring the past experiences back into the present. 
Now, last night, Nadine and I were at uh, El Israel Baptist Church uh, participating in the 75th anniversary for that church. Uh, that, that's the place where we served for 10 years before, before coming here. And, and I got to tell you, uh, prepping to go participate in that event and being in the midst of that event and those people, it, it dredged up a lot of memories. It dredged up a lot of the past and brought it to the present. And some of it was very, very good, enjoyable. But there was also some very painful things that got brought up again, too. Looking to the past has this ability to bring the past into the present. And as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, from verse 3 through 15, Habakkuk basically goes down memory lane, recalling the past acts of God, the things that God had done for his people. For example, verse 3 and 4, he says, God, you came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Now the language, before we go any further, the, the language and the places in this passage is going to be probably a little bit unfamiliar to us. And even some of the language that's used can be confusing. So let me explain some aspects of this to you. First of all, whenever you're reading in the Old Testament and a prophet or a person is looking back to a moment uh, like a momentous event to affirm their faith of when God was present and working for his people, more often than not, they're going to look back to the Exodus. It is this incredible foundational moment they're going to more often than not look back to. And this region of Teman that he speaks of here is, is one way that we can refer to the area where God began to form the nation of Israel. The area where, where God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. The area where by plagues of land and water, he set them free from that slavery. The, the area where he rescued them and he fought for them with, with nature, with, with pillars of, of fire and pillars of, of, of wind and, and the Red Sea and, and the Nile being turned to, turned to blood. He, he, he fought for his people with nature and he, led them, he then led them to Mount Sinai where he established an order for the relationship of the people through the Ten Commandments. And as he continued to provide for them throughout the wilderness and the nations around them feared him. These are all the things that sometimes our minds don't go to, but as he mentions these things in this one verse, the people of his time would have thought of all of these things that God had done for his people in the past. And this was that memory they could look back to where God led his people. He protected them. He, he judged them, but he shaped them as well. But also what we find in passages like this is as they look back, they tend to speak of God's presence, his power, and his sovereignty, and they express it in poetic language referred to as theophanies at times. Now, this word theophany means to sort of depict a physical manifestation or, or to physically depict the presence and the impact of God upon the world. And that's what we see when it talks about rays flashing from his hands, these mountains being turned to plains and waters being churned up as God advances before his people. It's, it's a poetic the, theophany trying to express the, in, the power and the majesty and the sovereignty of God as he, as he moves amongst his created order. And so in this section... It recalls God's saving, establishing work among his people expressed through theophanies. And so let's read a bit more, but you'll get a sense of these things. Keep these in mind. So as we look at verse 4 going forward, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. 
He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed as he marched on forever. I saw the tents of Cush in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow and you called forth many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by and, and deep roared and, and lifted its waves on high. As, as we continue on, this goes on until verse 15. And what Habakkuk is doing here is he was remembering what God had done in the past. And it's building his trust and his faith in the present. Because these weren't just stories. These were God's promises. These were God's past actions where he saved and guided and protected his people and established the nation. And they weren't just stories. They isn't just talk. It's things that he was able to do and did do because Habakkuk now stands as a leader in the temple in the capital city of that nation. And so he knows they're not just stories because he's living the, the end result of so many of those activities. And this enlarges his vision of the moment in which he finds himself sitting. And he can feel his confidence building. And see, folks, we can do the same thing. We can look back and ask, where have I seen God move? We, too, can look back and remember. We can look back and remember when finances were tight and a check just randomly showed up in the mail. We, too, can look back and remember when we were feeling down and we were feeling alone, and then a friend just happened to come by the restaurant we were sitting in by ourselves. Nadine and I remember when she was pregnant with Samuel, and, and, and an issue came up that was threatening the pregnancy. And it was the exact same issue that led us to lead our son, to lose our son, Austin. And we were terrified we are going to do it again. And we remember how we gathered together after the service one Sunday, and, and people laid hands on Nadine and prayed for her. And I remember how the next day she went for a test to see how things were progressing, and the issue was gone. And not just gone, like the doctors were dumbfounded because there wasn't even any sign of it existing in the first place. And we now have our son Samuel. I remember ministering to a guy named Steve. When I first met Steve, he had just spent a week strung out on, on heroin in the bush behind the church I was working at. When he emerged, he literally had nothing. I remember how we worked with him to move from living in a tent to getting a job to to getting up every morning to drive him to work so we could get him into a hotel to live in and go from a hotel to move into a home. And just as we're about to find success in that, his old demons came back and he bolted and was gone. And I remember how devastating that was. All the work and time we put into helping Steve get back on his feet. But I also remember two years after that fact, there was a guy sitting in my office waiting to talk to me and it was Steve. And Steve remembered how the church had been there for him. Steve remembered how God had become real to him in that moment and how it had planted a seed that even though he bolted in that moment, his greater narrative, the greater narrative was he went back home and re, reconnected with his family and with his children and went back to work and went to rehab and got cleaned up and two years later came back to say thank you. Thank you. He remembered. And I remember. What do you remember? What do you remember about the great things God has done in your lives that have revealed the reality of his presence to you in the past that you can bring into the present to give you encouragement? 
Maybe you feel like your page is blank of things that you can remember because perhaps you're at a season of just searching for God and you're not sure what to look for yet. Or maybe you're a newer believer and you just haven't had that many experiences yet. Or maybe you've been coming to church for decades and you just haven't thought about these things or had eyes to see them. They may be small. They may start simple. I encourage you to pray about it. To pray that God would open your eyes. And I guarantee you this. By the sheer fact that you're here and you can hear my voice right now. God is moving in your life. You are not here by accident. Something or someone happened in your life that brought you to this moment to sit in this sanctuary or to be watching online or to be listening to this as a podcast later on. Do not write that off as a coincidence. Zoom out. Look to see God's fingerprints upon your lives. We talked last week about how God loves to speak to his children. He loves to speak to people. He he can do it through a word of encouragement. He can do it through scripture. He can do it through sermons. He can do it through a a song on the radio. He, he, He can reach you wherever you may be if we will choose to see him and begin to see that maybe the things that happened in the past weren't coincidences. Maybe the things that happened in the past, the opportunities, the blessings that we had in our lives were actually fingerprints of God on our stories. As we look back upon those things, maybe we can actually see that even if things aren't great right now or things aren't awesome today, we can look back and remember God is good. God is faithful. God is powerful. And as we learned last week, God is still on his throne. And he is sovereign over all things. So in all seasons of life, when we're facing tough times and when we're facing good times, we can respond with faith first by remembering what God has done. Remember what God has done. God, I remember your power. God, I remember the good works. Renew them in our day, Lord, we pray. And when we start there, it positions us for the second thing that Habakkuk shows us that we can do. And it positions us to the second thing, which is to accept what he's doing. Now, when I say accept what he's doing, I don't mean, sometimes we, when people hear this, they, our, our minds go to this idea, and this is not what I mean, this idea of, of just resignation. Well, I'm just going to resign myself to what's happening. This isn't about resignation. This isn't about, well, the bills just keep coming, so I'm going to stop trying to get out of debt. Well, I had an argument with my spouse again, so, you know, that's not going to change. Got another diagnosis that didn't go the way I wanted it to. Wasn't as good as I expected. I'm probably never going to be healthy. We're not talking about resignation to these sorts of things. Because when you file it, and you know that you've experienced resignation, when you can feel those moments where it feels like your soul just dies. There's this complete loss of hope in a moment. If you feel that taking place, it's possible that you're just resigning yourself to the reality, which means we're just going to check out. That's not this. What we're talking about here is not accepting the loss that leads to no hope. It's about accepting the present that finds a source of hope. That even though it might take time to get a debt, we believe it is possible and we'll keep pushing forward. Even though it did take hard work to heal my marriage, we will keep doing the hard work that it's going to take, believing that there's a better day on the horizon. Even though I may have to go through more treatment still, we will continue to pray for a miracle, trusting that God can and does heal. And even though there's no guarantees of success based upon the current moment we find ourselves in, we will pray for those miracles and we will trust because we are zooming out our perspective 
And as we zoom out, our perspective is not just upon the moment we find ourselves in, but our perspective shifts to the God of all moments. And we start to get a larger understanding of what's taking place. And this is what Habakkuk does in verse 16. And this is what he says in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, yet, I will wait patiently. Yet I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation that's invading us. Habakkuk asked a question. He received an answer. He didn't like the answer he got back in chapter 1 about the Babylonians. And his initial response was one that caused his whole being to be shaken. We see in the first part of verse 16 here, it's like he's having this full body anxiety attack. Where his heart is just pounding out of his chest. He, he wants to cry, but he has no words. His knees are knocking. He's trembling. He needs to sit down for a little while before he falls down. He realizes that what God said is going to come to pass. He realizes and accepts it's going to be hard. There may very well be pain and suffering and bloodshed as this takes place amongst his nation. And he doesn't like it. And he doesn't fully understand it. But don't miss this. But he ends by going, yet, yet I will trust the Lord. Yet I will trust God. And you can only arrive at the conclusion of yet I will trust the Lord when you begin by looking at what he's done in the past and when you have a confident understanding of who he is and what he has done in the past and that he will do it again in the present. Because something is happening in this. And he says, God, if you're in it, then you are consistent in who you are. You are true to your promises. And if you're in it, God, if you're doing something, then something will be consistent with your nature. And if I accept you, I can accept this moment. Because sometimes what God needs to do to accomplish his will can only be done through tough means. And this is hard for us to understand and accept at times, but if we look back upon the narrative of our story, I think we find that it's true, and we see it in our lives. That sometimes what God needs to accomplish can only happen through tough means. For example, I remember when I was five, and I went skating for one of the very first times, and and I tripped and fell, and and I hit my chin on the ice. And as I went to get up, I realized that my chin was stuck to the ice. And so I did the smart thing, I pulled right? And a piece of my chin was on the ice. <laughs> so obviously I end up on a gurney in the hospital. And what I remember most about this is laying on that table in the hospital as the doctor examines it and he says, we're going to need stitches. Now I had never had stitches. I, I, I didn't know what stitches were, but just minutes later, I had a nurse leaning on me as the doctor said the phrase, just a little pinch. Now, here's the first thing I learned, and you know this too. Doctors are liars. <laughs> right? Or dentists too, just a little pinch. Right? If your doctor or dentist says just a little pinch, it's going to hurt. Because right? if it's not going to hurt, they don't say anything. But when they feel the need to say something, they can't tell you the truth. So just a little pinch. It wasn't a little pinch. It hurt. I remember it hurt enough that my five-year-old little body was doing everything I could to cry and scream and wriggle out and get free of that. But the nurse just pinned me down more and held my head 
And she made me stay there and endure the pain of the freezing. I didn't like it. And I certainly didn't understand it. But I'm sure that many parents, like myself, have had to take your children to situations like that or had to go through seasons with your children where you have to either stand back and watch somebody pin them down to do something that is necessary or you yourselves are the one pinning them down. And you pin them down with a tear in your eye because they're screaming, they don't understand. And they don't like it, but you do it. Not for punitive reasons but because you know that this is for their own good. You know that they need to go through this to get to the other side where the healing happens. As I look back upon that, my five-year-old self did not understand why I was being pinned down and being hurt. But with a greater perspective that I have today, I understand why. It still hurt. I don't want to do it again even now. But I accept the importance of what I had to go through for that moment. You see, when God speaks and when he acts, even if it means it's going to lead to something hard, we can still respond in faith and accept the hard season, trusting that if God is in it, trusting that if it is according to his will and according to his plan, that he is consistently good, he is consistently faithful, he is consistently right. And so we will choose to accept and to endure and to wait patiently in the season we find ourselves in, knowing that it's not without purpose. And this is helping us to see actually the beauty at times and the purpose whenever we find ourselves having to endure tough moments. Habakkuk teaches us this, that if we can remember what God has done, then we can accept what he is doing, which then creates in us the ability to trust what he is going to do. To trust what he is going to do. See, Habakkuk and his nation were going to have to endure the judgment of God. However, as he had said at the end of chapter 2, right before this psalm of praise, he says, yet the Lord is in his temple. Habakkuk's faith and hope was not defined by the happenings in his life. It wasn't defined by just happenstance. See, happenstance is, is defined by these random events and circumstances that seem to have no, no connection between them. It's just, just coincidence that happen to take place. But that's what it looks like when you zoom in on one particular moment, just one moment and then one moment and then one moment with no connectivity between them. When you zoom in, it looks like just happenstance is taking place in our world. But that's not the basis of his faith and his hope. His faith and his hope was in God, who was sovereign over all moments. His faith and his hope was in God, who was consistent in his nature in all of those moments. And with that wider perspective, as he's able to zoom out his perspective a little bit, he has this greater narrative that's taking place. He can look to the past, he can look to the present, and he can add to it a hope for the future. His initial concern was, God, are you listening his initial concern was, God, why don't you save us? Why do you tolerate wrong? God, where's the justice? And the answer he got back was that God does know. And God is dealing with wickedness. Justice will prevail, just not in the small, zoomed-in manner that we want. But looking at the greater narrative, justice does prevail. And God's goodness and faithfulness is seen. And this is what he talks about in verse 17 and 18 where he looks back upon this tough time that's going to happen. 
Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes upon the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pens and there's no cattle in the stalls, yet, there's that word yet again, looking to the past or the present but hoping to the future, yet again, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk had no earthly reason for meeting verse 17, no earthly reason to rejoice. He and his nation were going to experience a terrible ruin physically, economically, nationally. Yet I will rejoice. Yet I will be joyful in God my Savior. How about us? What about you? Can you you say that phrase at times? Even though my health may be declining, I can trust in the Lord still. Even though I raise my kids according to God's ways, but they're making poor decisions in life, and I feel like a failure, yet I trust the Lord. Even though I worked so hard, and I did everything I could, and I did my very best, and I was still passed over, still I'll rejoice in God, my Savior. Even though finances are tough, and it costs $200 to fill my gas tank, (laughs) yet I will trust in the Lord. Even though I don't like it, even though I don't understand it, I want him to do more than he's currently doing. I know he's in it. I know he is for me. I know he is with me. So I will rejoice and I will trust in the Lord. Because that's the one thing that the world can never take from me. And the end result is that he experiences this, this, this faith of Habakkuk can be experienced. And this is the faith he expresses in the final verse of this book, in verse 19, where he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Enables me to tread upon the heights. What does God do? What does God do when we respond in faith? Habakkuk tells us that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens around me, he says, God is my strength. God is the one who encourages. God is the one who equips. God is the one who fights for me, as he has done in the past, he will do in the present, and he will certainly do in the future. And because of that, I have feet like a deer. What does that mean? Feet like a deer that I can climb to even greater heights. This verse makes me think of, of animals, these, these deers, like these mountain goats that you see sometimes in Jasper, with sheer footedness. Incredible grace and agility in these animals, that even in the roughest in the steepest and most dangerous of trains, on the sheerest of cliffs, even if they simply have a few inches, they stand in confidence. They stand in confidence and they continue on in their journey. What a feeling to know that even when there's just a little limp, that when we stand in the Lord, he is our sure foundation. When we are in a season of difficulty, like in chapter 1, when we have questions, when we have a bit of a bone to pick with God, how we respond in chapter 1 moments will either weaken or strengthen our faith. And we learn that we can ask God our questions. We learn that we can lament to God, and that is a step of faith. And then we find ourselves in the chapter 2 seasons of challenges, where we have to make a choice between putting our faith in the situation or putting our faith in God. And we can come to learn that God is not absent He is not uninterested. He does know and he does see and he is doing. 
just maybe not in the way that we expect or want him to, but he is doing in a way that is true to his character and true to his promises. And when we find ourselves there, we can then enter into season chapter three, where you've zoomed out from the moment and we have a greater perspective. We've responded in faith, which means we can now praise him through faith, knowing that what he has done in the past helps us to accept what he's doing in the present and trusting that he will do it again in the days ahead. May you find strength and confidence in sure footing on your journey that leads you to rejoice in the Lord your Savior as you take each step. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just simply pray and say, God, there are amazing things that you have done, that you, God, are amazing. Lord, we thank you for how you've revealed yourself to each person who is sitting here, who is listening, who is, who is present and maybe wrestling right now with the reality of what's happened in their lives and, and where you are in the midst of that. God, we believed in the past that you have done amazing things for each and every one of us. I pray we'd have the eyes to see that our hearts would be open to the reality of where you've been present, that we could see your fingerprints upon our lives. And that not only would that turn us to say praises towards you about how great you are, Lord, but that it would also give us a moment in the present, especially if we're in a moment of difficulty, it would give us the confidence in the moment to say, you are with me, you are for me. The God who has fought for me, provided for me in the past, is still with me in this moment that leads to having trust for what will happen tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of this relationship that we can have with you. We thank you that this is not a surprise to us, that you told us as you told your disciples, Lord, that in this world we will have trouble. But you tell us these things, that we would not have worry, so we would not have anxiety, but that we may have peace. Peace, Lord. For those going through challenging situations, I pray for your peace, Lord. Your peace upon them. You promised that in this world we would have trouble, but to take heart in you because you have overcome it. And upon that promise we stand and we say thank you. God, I pray that you would bring joy to those who need to enter into a relationship with you, that they would feel that prompting in their hearts and their spirits right now and say yes to Jesus. That they would come speak to us after the service that we could take steps further and enter into that relationship with you, Lord. But also pray for those who are in places of difficulty places that seem hopeless. Lord, may you be the hope, may you be the light in the midst of those moments that we could respond in faith. We could respond in faith and say, Lord, as you've done in the past, do it again. We thank you that you will. We pray this in full confidence.